Greetings Programs, and welcome to the Awesome Friday Podcast. This is December the 31st, 2023. Um, We're bringing the end of one year, our passage into the next year, and we're here to say to you, Happy New Year! And also, our our favorite films of the year of our Swift 2023. Um, My name is Matthew, I'm your host, and with me, as always, is Simon. Uh, Say hi, Simon. Hello. Hi, Happy New Year. Time is a human construction by which we use to measure entropy. I hope everyone's doing okay. <laughs> you mispronounced you mispronounce that time is a flat circle. <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah, all right, all right, all right. All right, all right. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm okay. It's been a hell of a week, a hell of a month, and a hell of a year. So uh, see you next year. <laughs> see you yeah. Later, 2023. Um yeah, I'm is okay. there... everyone's been. I I've been sick. My then I got better, and my kid got really sick, and then my wife got a bit sick. It's but we're all kind of back now, ish. Oh, it's almost like you're a family unit sharing a space, <sighs> isn't it? Though, and eating things that well, we probably shouldn't. Um, how That's are you? That's true. What's, uh, That's what's, true all the time. Uh, like... What New Year's resolutions are you not making this year? I don't tend to make New Year's resolutions because I tend to not keep up with them. So it's easier to have <laughs> zero expectations. <laughs> easier to fail them right out the gate. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, this year, 2023, I had a resolution to, to use my education to gain new employment, and I achieved that. So mm, yes, I'm sort of going... Uh, well, I mostly achieved it. Um uh, and so I'm going out on a high note, uh, 2024. I just, I want to, cause I've been freelancing most of 2023 and it has been good. And, uh, 2024, I would like to find stability. That's my, that's my goal for the year Aww. is to find some, some level of st- stability. I don't think um, you're alone in that wish. Yeah. And, uh, and also, you know, to, to watch a lot of movies and talk about them. I should have an interestingly more amount of free time. So any of our podcasting or publishing friends, if you need people to write or talk about movies, I should be a lot more free this year. And I would just love to come on your show and talk about movies. Yeah, you should hire him. He's good. He knows stuff. Unlike yeah, I me, do. I don't remember anything. He's got a memory of literally everything. That's just not true, Steve. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I already have, I have two guests two guest appearances booked on the Lambcast coming up in the next two months. That's good. Uh, I would like to find more writ, uh, paid writing work, which would be good. Um, and like my long-term goal was to, to apply f- to get Rotten Tomatoed uh, in 2024. So I don't know if that's going to happen, but that's that was always my goal. Oh, you paid writing in this economy, <laughs> in this society? Come on. We, well, we let's be clear. Love- you know, I don't expect to find paid writing that pays my bills, <laughs> um, but Maybe I do. It's like, a very wide spectrum. That's true. Yeah, and I do have a, a couple of places where I do get paid to write, and it's not very much, but it does feel a little better than getting paid nothing. Yes, I expect it does. I've got very yeah. similar aims. I'm probably going to look for something new to do with my day job, and. Um, I've all, I always want to write more, but this year I think 
in 2012, I don't know if you remember, I didn't buy a, a single video game in 2012, and I just played what I had to see what it would feel like. And ah, yes, the, the wonderfully titled Year of Living Gamelessly. <laughs> it was worth it for the title alone, wasn't it? Um, and uh, I've got such a backlog now, and, and more importantly, I am uh, I, I very much noticed this year that when I play games now, I feel nothing. I feel nothing. There's my games of the year are the only games that I felt something in this year. In fact, my game of the year is widely derided by literally everyone. It hasn't appeared on anyone's like top fifty list. It's a uh, it's an action adventure game called uh, Wanted Dead that is not finished. It has the worst voice acting I've ever heard in my life. Um, but it's like. Uh, it's like at some point the devs realized they were making a fever dream and just decided that they couldn't go back now and they just sort of packed it with as much stupid shit as they could and it's got the best combat system since Sifu, which I'm also playing on my Switch Lite. But I've enjoyed games uh, called... Uh, there's a climbing game called Je Sont, which is a French word. Excuse my amazing pronunciation. Which is a, a basically a... It's very like Journey or Ico. It's very much a rock climbing game that where you just you sort of pick through this uh, extent civilization, learning their stories as you climb this big mountain. And it's just I finished it last night. Absolutely emotionally wonderful. And there's uh, the game I told you about called Chance of Senar, which is um, someone going into uh, multiple old bickering societies and trying to work out what they're saying because you don't speak any of the languages and you slowly decipher runes through uh, repetition and through circumstance and, and it, it ties very much into my job specialty as well. Hmm. So I'm enjoying those. So maybe play less. I, I'm, I've said to you earlier this year, I'm getting, uh, I get the feeling from movies now that I used to get from games. So I'm watching a lot more movies, even TV. But this year, uh, I would really write, like to try and make an effort to try and watch more world cinema um, mm -hmm. I'm going to try and keep an eye on the big releases in France and Germany and Denmark and, and Asia and and just try and keep on top of that a little better because I, I feel like my, my viewpoint is very Western. Of course it is, because that's what I'm exposed to. And uh, when I, I have, um, I've really got a lot out of watching a lot of international movies. And interestingly, my, uh, my son's who recently watched um, the wonderful Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. He watched Godzilla Minus One with me, and he really wants to watch River, and he wants to watch more of this stuff. I think uh, it's great to see his eyes being opened a bit by uh, how incredible international film is. And one of my, in fact, almost my movie of the year this year is a, um, uh, no, what is it? A French production with a German actress speaking English and French. And German, uh, yeah, and German, and uh, it, there's just a, a, a lot. There's a lot that international um, cinema has to say, and um, we kind of, myself included, when you're growing up, you kind of see the Oscars as this worldwide celebration of film, and as you very uh, intelligently put it, it's a a, a local award show. <laughs> That's what you sort of grow to learn the more you watch outside of what the Oscars presents to you. It's like, oh my God, there's incredible films, even coming out of Canada as well. I think that, um, some in the last couple of years, I've seen some stuff coming out of Canada that has just blown me away. 
um, some really good yeah. genre stuff and some really good dramas as well. So I'm really grateful actually to you and to all of our, if, if any of our film buddies are listening, I'm really, really grateful to all of you because I learned about these films through all you people who have free time and go to festivals and things that I don't, I'm not able to do uh, for a multitude of reasons. Um, that's how I found out about stuff. So I'm really grateful about all, all of that really. Yeah, I mean, one of my resolutions, sort of every year, my sort of unofficial ones, is to watch more Canadian cinema. Um, and it's it's upsetting to me how difficult that tends to be. Mm. Um, uh, difficult's the wrong word, I guess, but like almost all of it comes out without fanfare. You really have to you really have to pay attention to Canadian festivals to see a lot of it, and a lot of it doesn't play in any sort of big way. Like even Brother, which is one that I almost put on this list, even though it's technically a 2022 film. Um, you know, it got a wide release in the States this past year, um, but it didn't do hardly anything because it was such a limited release. Mm-hmm. Um, and Canadian stuff tends to be, like, unless it gets nominated for an Oscar, it tends to be fairly either, either you don't know it's Canadian because it was like Canadian code financed or it's a Canadian film that, you know, got nominated for best foreign language picture or something. And it's mm-hmm. kind of difficult to watch. It's, it's one of the reasons I typically like watching going, like paying attention to Whistler film festival at the end of the year. Although I did not mm-hmm. have enough time to watch enough stuff this year. It's always a good showcase for Canadian cinema. Um, mm-hmm. And I really, I really wish, I really wish I had made the effort to watch more of it in the past year. That's one of my sort of, Mm-hmm. regrets for 2023 i think we did an okay job but we didn't do yeah. a good enough job in my opinion i think when we're both trying to work full-time we've both got lots of external responsibilities and try as we've both learned in the past trying to force it into our lives stops it becoming something we love and oh I yeah think we're in a good good place with it now like when we're, we're we're not uh, like we always want to do more, but I think the balance has to be there as well. And I think we've we've both achieved that a lot better now than perhaps we used to. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely there's years where I literally the the busiest year I ever had as like a film person, film talking person, I legitimately burned myself out, and I had to take like mm-hmm. four months off at the beginning of the following year. And I don't want to be in that position again. So it's tough. Um, that that sort of. Where you got to pimp yourself, you got to push yourself because that's where you, if you're doing it full time, as you would, as many people try to do, that's where you, the money comes from, is pushing yourself and finding the opportunities, and it is exhausting, and you can't stop doing it. Yeah, and there's also just a there's a fairly, I'm going to use the word toxic, even though I'm not a hundred percent sure that's the correct word. But there's a fairly toxic mindset among a, a subset of film people where, like, you kind of have to see everything in order to have an opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't subscribe to that. There was a time when I did that I that felt like if I was really going to have, like, a good opinion of the films of a year, I needed to see as many of them as humanly possible. And I now know from having, again, burnt myself out pretty badly for a couple years. So I don't think that's true. And I think it's... I think it's mm-hmm. I think it's perfectly cromulent to see a large subset, a subset of the films to get a good vibe. And ultimately, whatever resonates with you resonates with you. And there's definitely films that we're going to talk about today that 
that we're not going to talk about today because neither of us saw them that I, I wish that I had, and I'm sure when I see them, they'll be good, but they're not going to be on my list because I didn't see them, and I'm I'm much more okay with that than I would have been, say, even three or four years ago. I think the the, the important point that you make here is it's not trying to push to see everything, but being aware that you should be seeing things that are outside of your usual like box. You, if, instead of just oh, watching yeah. actual movies, I mean, like no, not trying to see everything, but being diverse in your choices because you're not going to like everything, but there's going to be something out there that you never would have chosen normally that moves you in a very specific way. And it might open a door to more things as well. Yeah. And I try not to be derogatory about this, but like, I think a good encapsulation of what you're talking about too is, and again, I'm not trying to be derogatory. I think that there was a lot of really negative sentiment towards this, but one of the jokes on like film Twitter recently was so Zack Snyder has a new movie out. I'm not sure if you're aware um, called rebel moon part one, a child of fire. And it is, and it is very nakedly an adaptation of the seven samurai. Um, but there was a joke that went around Twitter where like someone just remade the poster, but titled it a bug's life. <laughs> Because a bug's life is also just seven samurai. Like I don't know if you've seen that movie, oh, but it is it is all it is also just seven samurai. And there was a lot of people out there and like so my reaction to that is, yeah, that's a funny joke. And also, have you seen Seven Samurai? Because I envy you if you haven't, you get to see it for the first time. But there's a lot of people out there who are like, Oh, haven't seen Seven Samurai. And like I feel like we need to see more th- we need to be more encouraging of people to see more things. And uh I'm sort of rambling and I don't really have a point, but like <laughs> my, yeah, the point is that like, I, I want to see more things and I want to, as you're aware, I've been trying to do the last couple of years. I, I really am trying to embrace positivity um, mm-hmm. where I can. And I, I, I want that person to see seven samurai and have their mind blown. You know, I don't want it to be yeah. derision that they haven't seen it. I want it to be excitement that they, that they will see it. Yeah, right. I always thought that was weird. If you haven't seen a film, you're like, oh, you're not a real film person. Because if, if I meet someone who hasn't seen a film, I love, I get very, I just want to be with them when they watch it. I want to be yeah. in that room. And I yeah, get excited. In some ways, the film Twitter tends, there's a whole subset of film Twitter that tends to be like the personification of the no true Scotsman fallacy, right? Like, oh, no, no true film fan will not have seen Seven Samurai. You know, like, it's just, it's, <laughs> Yeah. It's it's awful. We need to be excited for this art that we're consuming, and uh, I hope that we are. One of my my resolution, my movie resolution for twenty twenty three, which I think I did not great job at, to be perfectly honest, was to watch more Indian cinema, and I definitely watched more than I have in any other previous year, but not yeah. really enough. I think I watched like a dozen, maybe, mm-hmm. um, and I could definitely watch more. Like, there's a whole subset of culture that I need to i feel like i need to connect with in a more meaningful way in the same way that you know many many people rightfully so love japanese film and chinese film but like lots of films come out of india lots of films come out of thailand um lots of films come out of everywhere and i feel like i need to see more of it i wonder indian film that a lot of indian film i've seen is very focused on uh, over exuberance and, and melodrama and I think uh, we talked about this when we covered RRR really early on that you get quite coded into that being a bad thing 
when you are only watching Western movies because we see melodrama as like daytime TV dramas and just cheap and bad. But once you once you sort of get your head around it as a performance style and realize the movie is specifically that style and it's meant to invoke very certain feelings by being that style, it then opens the door to things like Pathan uh, and it, it and the enjoyment you get from that, the escapism you get by accepting that as a valid movie style is really amazing. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, there's also just like, not, not every film is like that, right? Like there's a, uh, one of my, I think one of the best, well, certainly one of my favorite Indian films I've ever seen is one called lipstick on my burqa which is just a low-key drama about these four or five women who all live in the same like apartment block and they're all basically dealing with the day-to-day life, day-to-day reality of being a woman in India. Um, uh, you know, one of them is a young woman who like wants to wear jeans and society says that women shouldn't wear jeans. And one is an older woman who's like learning to swim and develops a crush on her instructor. Like it's very like, it's very like each story is very low stakes, but the whole thing is very high stakes, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And it's it's really wonderful performed. It's very understated. There's no musical numbers. Um, it's wonderful from start to finish, um, and and demands a lot of empathy. Yeah. And I, I sort of get the same way about like there's definitely, I definitely know people, and I'm not trying to call it anyone specifically, but like talking about performance style, I definitely know people who are like. You know, if the if the actor doesn't fade away into the character, then it's not a good performance. And I I also don't think that that is true. I think that mm-hmm. you know, um, emotional truth is what matters, and you can do that without having to be a total chameleon. I think mm-hmm. Tom Cruise is an excellent example of that. I think he's a really really good actor when he turns it on. Um, he's never not Tom Cruise because how could he be at this point? Mm-hmm. But he's able to tap into things that uh, are true. And I, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I was yeah. thinking a lot on that point, actually about Rachel Senate this year. And I've seen her in, um, Oh God, what was that first thing we saw that we never actually covered? Um, about her. Uh, it's a, it's kind of a comedy drama. She's a stand up who used to be famous. Um, but then something horrific happened to her and it affected her. Oh, yeah. Um, I used to be funny. I used to be funny. So watch that and then I watched Bottoms, which is a very different performance, even though it's got her characteristic kind of delivery style. And um, <clears throat> it makes it, it really made me realize what a great performer she is and, and has the potential to be because she found some two really interesting angles on... A, a similar kind of comedy and a similar kind of delivery and she was fantastic in both of them um so she's not a performer that disappears in that sort of classic method style that is so uh, favored ridiculously so but i loved her performance variety in those two films i think she's really one to watch i think she's really got something yeah, actually, I could say you... <clears throat> I could say exactly the same thing about uh, Io Edebiri, who's also in Bottoms yeah. and who's also in The Bear, uh, which I only recently watched. And turns out, The Bear season two is pretty easily one of, if not the best season of TV from twenty twenty three. 
but she's in it and the same thing she doesn't really like she doesn't disappear into it like in that classic way she's a very distinct mode of like delivery and speech that is still present but the the role is very different and she portrays it truthfully it's interesting actually as thinking about as we're talking about this thinking about natalie portman's character in may december who to be clear is very toxic um but her whole thing about trying to find truth is sort of true she just takes it to a a very terrible place uh you know in the same way that like the jared leto's of the world take method acting to the, the worst place oh you had to say it didn't you it's not even method acting oh my god that guy <laughs> I can't. That's not even. That's not. Yeah, I didn't mean. I didn't mean to trigger you there. That's. Uh... Do you know what? Do you know what the method acting is, which I find really interesting, um, because it's not Bradley Walsh refusing chairs on set, and it's not Jared Leto sending rats to people. Uh, it's um, Christian Bale uh, was on set with someone. So it was an interview with someone with Christian Bale. It was someone like Brian Cox. Brian Cox is famously vocally anti-method and or it might be denzel like denzel talks uh, anti-method as well anyway i think it was denzel in the recent uh, round table and he said that he was on a movie with him and method acting for him is just to keep the voice between takes when they sit they'll look at each other's like family pictures and stuff and he said he stayed in the, the voice of the character but not the character of the character just to mm-hmm. keep the voice like warmed up that like he found his element that's part of method acting. It's not walking around pretending you're the Joker offset. And uh, uh, Christian Christian Bell, like there was that there was that big thing in um, when he did Terminator Salvation where he shouted at a, a crew member because the crew member was playing around while he was doing this dramatic scene and and it was like oh it was an overblown actor. But that I I'm totally with him on that one because it, the whole thing about method acting is is getting your head space right in the in the dramatic moment and any distraction from that kind of like diffuses the whole thing it takes the pot off the lid um so uh, i think christian bell's a, an excellent version of method acting but you don't hear about it much because he's not an asshole with it he just does it very quietly for himself and, well, and, and gets gets all the all the press well and also like when christian bale exploded it was sort of a out of character and b like this guy was doing something. It was a lighting guy, if I remember. And like by that time, when he was trying to do the scene, they would have called quiet on set and mm-hmm, all yeah. of the stuff to make that person stop doing things. And it also, I think, like the recording was pretty. I mean, honestly, it was pretty overblown. Like he pretty did like lose his temper. Um, mm-hmm. But also, it came. I think it came out later that like it was not the first time. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you sort of, you know, everyone has a breaking point, and. Uh, he did reach it and he did overreact, but like that guy also sounds like he was inconsiderate. So, yeah. you know, maybe, I don't know. So it's, it's always more complex, right? Yeah. I mean, my, my understanding and like, I am not an actor, I'm not a classically trained actor. Um, but my understanding of method acting is just tapping into your own experience to, to relay another like character experience. And like, I feel like, walking around and pretending you are someone is not that there you go that's, you're a method actor that's you know that's uh do you, do you know the best before some of the best performances i've seen are exactly people like you who understand the concept understand the work like uh dominic sesser in uh, the holdovers who was have you heard the story about how he got cast 
I told you the story of how he got cast. Oh, did you? Was it you who told me? Okay, sorry. But that's yeah. that's amazing how he was just a kid in the school and they yeah. offered auditions to him. And when you watch the holdovers, like that's exactly what method acting is. It, like that kid was in the moment and he understood what that character was going through. It's not it's not about anything more than that. So yeah, you'd be a method actor, that's fine. You hmm. can do method acting. Look at the size of you. Easy. You should go to Japan and be like an action hero. It would be the easiest career transition for you ever. <laughs> you just turn up and go, I'm ready for movies. And they'll be like, you're in literally all of them. <laughs> just move to Hong Kong and, and be the tall person. All right, there you go. Be the tall European. Yeah. Anyway, I'd watch that film. That would be my that would be on my top twelve list of the year. Just uh just grow my hair out and speak with a vaguely German accent and tell everyone I was in Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> it would work. Yeah. Definitely. So yeah. we're gonna do our best of our personal best of uh list this year, but we're not we're gonna tell you our favorite film, but we're not ranking the rest, right? Yeah, we're gonna do the way I've done my best of the year list last several years in a row, which is to say we will talk about our our absolute favorite film, our number one we'll talk about last. But the rest of them, we're just going to talk about in alphabetical order. And I started doing this for a couple of reasons. Um, but one of which is that I'm not, I'm not, and to be fair, I've definitely participated in ranking art in the last, say, couple of months, because I'm on, you know, critic groups and several other places now. But um, I actually don't really find it, I find something off-putting about ranking art. I don't know if you agree with that or not. Um but the the art the, the the films of each year are so diverse and different and conjure such different um, yeah. sort of ex experiences and emotions that uh, I don't think it's really fair to to rank them because they're so diverse. Right. You know, you know what I'm trying to I, say here. I, I I both agree with you, but also I think I find it easier to rank stuff than you do because I go purely on. It's really weird when it comes to movie rankings. I can feel their ranking. I can feel like when I go through my emotional reaction to each one, I just know by instinct the order that they should be in in terms of how I feel they affected me that year. And so there's nothing more about their like it almost. There's no relative quality discussion in my ranking. Like three mm -hmm. is is better than four for these reasons. It just I felt more. It it, it feels like a three, and this yeah. one feels like a four. And I won't I won't um, finish my ranking until every uh, <clears throat> every numbered like entry feels like it's in the right place. And that's the that's the that's the most I'll ever give it. But you're totally right. I mean it's. Um, like this... comparing, comparing different types of genre art against each other is a very difficult thing to do, and it's a very long discussion. So yeah, yeah I can and also this is this this all ties back to the same reason why we like we rank things on this show um, on a one to five scale with no half stars, and that's entirely me. And the reason for that is that I find doing that keeps me more honest about sort of relative quality or how I reacted to things. It keeps me from, it keeps me personally, specifically from engaging in hyperbole in the same way that I would 
before when I was very, you know, I definitely used to be one of those people who was like, that's about an 87 out of a hundred, Steve, <laughs> just, you know, um, and trying to find that, like, you know, I, I definitely fell into that trap of trying to find like, what is the thing that's going to make this one better than that one? And I, I honestly prefer my art reaction to be as sort of like gut level as possible. So yeah. I definitely agree with what you're saying, but I also, I want to, I don't want to create Personally, I don't want to create the sort of illusion that one movie is better than another because all, all of our reactions are so subjective. Yeah. And also, <clears throat> so I, I had an interesting discussion on threads this morning. I posted last night because I got into it with some guy. <laughs> of course, it was oh, a guy. Uh, like, very briefly, I was just like, but the, 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 sh the short version of this is that I said, I said that, like, there's no such thing as an objective film opinion. Like about the quality of film. Um, <laughs> oh, this this oh, this no. this thread is like getting some minor amount of traction right now, which is nice uh. to see. But someone responded to me to that this morning, saying that like that they reject the objective versus subjective because there's people who will take subjectivity to the point where they don't care about anyone else's opinion, which I thought about for I actually thought about it for a good like ninety minutes before I responded. Because my immediate, not my immediate, but my considered response is that those two things are the same thing, right? That taking objectivity to a, a terrible degree and taking subjectivity to a terrible degree are the same thing because they both belie a lack of openness and empathy to what they're experiencing, right? To other people's experience, to other interpretations, to, to any real discussion or introspection about the art that they've experienced. And that's why that's basically why I don't want to do that's why I don't like doing rankings because I don't want to create the impression that anything one thing is better than the other. And that's why I try to frame when I do these for myself anyway, I try to frame like I always say that this one is my favorite, not the best. Like it's my favorite, not the best of the year. And I choose that language very very deliberately. Mm -hmm. yeah, interesting point. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm a crazy person and maybe I just, you know, don't want to so do it. But. There's definitely, there's definitely room there for, um, failed technique. If you're, um, if you cut between three angles and your actors in three different like positions, if you continuity <laughs> is bad or if your lighting is bad, these are objective qualities, but the, the point, the counterpoint that I can already make to that is take um, Jurassic, uh, the first Colin Trezor, Jurassic World. Uh, mm -hmm. There's this, there's this, like, my response to that was that it's, it's technically really bad. There's, there's a lot of editing and shots that I think are, are really bad. But it in terms of what's the quality of that movie, there's people that really like that movie. I know you really like that movie. And what? It's I don't really like that movie, but it's really fun. <laughs> right, right. Fun is the most important thing for me, absolutely. So, but it almost becomes like the the objectivity of the failed technique becomes a subjective quality in the end. As to I choose to let it affect my opinion of that film, even though I consider it to be an objective failure, it's still subjective and that it has affected my enjoyment. Whereas you're like, it's fun. It's dinosaurs like, and, and it's 
or globes rolling down hills and stuff. And so both of them ultimately are subjective opinions. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I also try to say that, like, I very clearly tried to say that, like, there's no such thing as an, as an objective opinion about the quality of a film, as in, like, its narrative and such. But, I mean, you can definitely say that, like, oh, that was sort of a bad... I, you can't even really say that, like, that was a bad edit, but you can say that, like, oh, the lighting was off, or, oh, maybe that line delivery wasn't great, or, mm-hmm. you know, there are there are things you can be objective about. Like, the you know, there are this many frames, you know, it was this long, and it isn't, you know, it's, I don't know. This is a longer discussion that we don't have time for right now. <laughs> this, is, this is Dakota's, uh, Dakota, we, I, I love you, we love you. <laughs> Uh, your reaction when I told you I wanted to watch out of all the bonds, I would watch Moonraker. <laughs> just <laughs> because, yeah, Moonraker is objectively, uh, if you want uh, objective, there's no such thing as objective, but it is not viewed as a, a good bond movie. But uh, it, it's so much fun. And when I'm when I'm watching a fun movie with my kids, that's the highest priority for me. So yeah. yeah. Anyway, we're uh, we're a half hour into our hour show, and we have a dozens of movies to talk about. So let's let's just get on with this. All right, um, it's been a good discussion. But so I'm gonna say, Simon, take I've I'm I've seen your list. So why don't you take it and just sort it alphabetically, and we'll go in alphabetical order as best we can here. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, all right, so okay. um, I'm now alphabetical. Awesome. So let's start talking about the best films of 2023. And do you want to start? Start us off. Choose one to start well, us off. Um, in the words of Sesame Street, the first letter is A. And so my first, <laughs> uh, my first favorite movie of the year is almost my top favorite movie of the year, which is the astounding anatomy of a fall um about the uh the trial of a woman who may or may not have pushed her artist husband out of a window and that's it and it mm-hmm. is and i as I've, I've talked about technique technique that annoys me uh has a flip side and that's technique that leaves me like draw on the floor absolute full of serotonin because i'm watching someone who is using the technique of filmmaking to tell a story in a wholly original and incredible way. And it's not just the, and within that, we're talking about the editing, the sound, the acting, the script, just this, this movie from beginning to end blew me away. And honestly, I don't even like courtroom dramas, uh, especially I love 12 angry men, but I'd struggle to tell you another one that I like. Um, and this film is so good at not being a stuffy classic courtroom drama. It is so immediate. It just the the every angle on this film is so intelligent and not showy. Like it doesn't feel like it's showing off, but it it, it just places you at the center of everything. Every conversation, every cross examination, every look left and right. Uh, it doesn't pull away from characters in a short reverse shot, sometimes just to let you see their reactions. And it doesn't even have an ending that you would call conclusive. And yet, it's so incredibly satisfying and brilliantly acted. Um, 
that I, I just, I would never have watched this movie out of choice. And I'm so glad I did. Just well, you're, you're welcome, because uh, yeah, I made you watch it. what I was saying earlier. Like, I need to be massively influenced by people who know more than I do. It's really astoundingly good that that this uh, um, the actors can go through multiple languages as well and still be effective. It's, it's uh, mind-blowing. And also one of the best child performances I've ever seen. And yeah, I, the kid I, is really good in it, for sure. I used, to, I used to teach kids that age to act, and this kid like absolutely gets it like incredible i really hope that he has a career in this and that someone shields him and helps him make good choices because he's brilliant in this everyone's brilliant and it's uh, it ultimately kind of hangs on the kid's performance in the in the end really as much as the mother's performance and um that's a very dangerous thing to to place on a child actor and it it was just incredible. Yep, this is on this was on my list as well, and uh, we're all everything you're saying here. Um, I think if Sandra Huller gets nominated for a bunch of awards this year, um, she'll probably probably be nominated because she was in like the the nominations might say the Zone of Interest, which is one of the films I missed. Um, but it'll also be because she was in this because she's so phenomenally good. Um, there's a, we talked at length about this on our, our episode about it, but there's a, there's a scene in the middle that is an argument between her character and her character's husband that is the most gut-wrenchingly raw and truthful and relatable argument (laughs) that I think I've ever seen in a film. And it is just wonderfully performed. And that's like the tip of the iceberg with the film. It also does a really great job of interrogating just... One thing that sort of courtroom dramas are, are sort of not problematic, but they definitely do the thing where they're like, you know, court gets to the truth. Like the reason we do this is to get to the truth. And this movie sort of takes that idea and says, no, no, we don't. Because yeah. at the end of the film, you don't like, it's never really revealed whether she did it or not. Um, the court makes a decision based on the evidence and testimonies, but you still don't know. You've still never gotten to the truth. It it really turns the idea of the whole idea of truth um, on its head, which I I really I really appreciate about it. Um, it's interesting. There's a line in another movie we're going to talk about about that says that like seventy three percent of all convict of all convictions are the result of eyewitness ter- of all wrongful convictions are the result of eyewitness t- testimony. And I really think that this movie like lays that fact pretty bare too. Mm. Uh, it's great. It's one of the best movies of the year and uh, you should definitely watch it. Yeah, please do. Uh, so we're going to move on. Uh, I'm going to go with another A movie. I think this is one, I know this is one you haven't seen, but it's actually one I just saw literally last night. It's the last film from 2023 that I will be able to see in 2023. And that is Andrew uh and I'm going to mispronounce his name, but I believe it's Hike, Hike, Hike. Anyway, um, starring Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal and Jamie Bell and Claire Foy. Um, All of Us Strangers is one of the most emotionally devastating films I have seen this whole year. And I don't know how much you all know about it. It's really presented as being this sort of queer romance, romance drama. 
but it's also a fantasy film about a man who's it's not actually really ever clear if he's speaking to ghosts or going back in time but he's also well, what yeah um, yeah so the whole the whole the whole setup is that the main character adam who's played by andrew scott um is doing research he's a script writer he's doing research he's he goes back to his hometown to like he's trying to write some coming of age thing it's pretty clear or at least heavily implied. And he goes back and he goes to his hometown and then he sees a man who he feels compelled to like follow. And it turns out this man is Jamie Bell and Jamie Bell is his father. Um, but his parents died when he was 12. So he's either gone back in time or he's interacting with the ghosts of his parents. And he keeps going back to his hometown and interacting with them while at the same time living this lonely, a sort of very isolated, lonely existence in an apartment building where he's the only tenant that's moved in. And he meets Paul Mescal, who he forms a relationship with. It is so slow and so tender and gentle and such an, uh, such a wonderful examination of grief and loneliness that I, I, I sort of regret having told you anything about it. Um, it's definitely one for the ages. Andrew Scott is such a compelling performer. He is able to do so much. He makes so many amazing internal acting choices. He does so much with just body language. There's a wonderful scene where he's talking with Claire Foy, who plays his mother, and he's he's able to finally like come out to his mother because they died when he was 12. They didn't know, at least not for sure. And she's got this like 1980s sensibility in her, and him interacting with her in that moment is one of the best acted scenes of the entire year, I would say. Um, not only like, cause, and her, and her as well in that scene, trying to balance the like 1980s sensibility about homosexuality combined with just love for her son combined with like, and her main thing that she comes out with is that she's like, aren't you lonely? <laughs> and, and his whole response is that not, not because I'm gay. <laughs> And it's it's really really affecting. I, it's not going to be for everyone, maybe, but I found the stuff, especially the stuff with the parents, especially the very last scene where he spends time with his parents, devastating, and but in the best way possible. And I I cannot recommend it enough. That sounds great. He is, as I said to you last night when you were watching it, as someone who has studied acting for a long 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 time i watch him and i'm just like i can't i can't get over how amazing he is in everything and it's and the choice that we talk a lot about choices like that the actor makes from moment to moment about what the character is doing and it's completely like transparent he is he completely i don't know anything about andrew scott i just know him for his characters and he is so buried in them and he's so naturally in them and I can't get my head around how he even does it at all. Mm -hmm. Hey, it comes back to that thing. He's, he seems to be completely open in a way that few, few achieve. One of my favorite all time TV moments is the moment in Fleabag season two, when he catches her talking through the fourth wall and turns and looks through the fourth wall at us. And it is like one of the biggest jump scares ever made it's incredible <laughs> but yeah he's he's brilliant I, yeah. is this film gonna knowing knowing me as you do is this film gonna break me 
Um, Should I watch the film? I was maybe, maybe, <laughs> uh, not in the same way that I think my actual favorite of the year will probably break you <laughs> because I know you haven't seen it. But yeah. it is like the if you have any stuff with your parents, um, it might basically. Right. And if you've ever been lonely, it might. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And not just like, oh, I feel a bit lonely today, but like if you've ever been like existentially lonely, um, right. it might. Yeah. Yeah. But it is wonderful. Wonderful and beautiful and tender and gentle would be the main word I would attribute to it. It's, uh, mm. it's a wonderful movie. So, yeah. Okay. Moving okay. on, what's next? what's next for you? I think the next one for you is one oh. that we both have. I think it's a B. It's a, it's our first B entry, and uh, which is great because now I get to talk about Barbie and <laughs> how how this there's this film should not have worked on any level. It's a product placement toy movie um, that uh, could they the easiest thing in the world would would have been to make a standard. Lego movie style Barbie movie, right? Well, you say um, you say that, but the first Lego movie is the same kind of movie as Barbie. Oh, like sorry, it. yeah, yeah, sorry. That I, I um, that's a bad example. So, so, some kind of toy movie. Yeah. <laughs> Just think of a toy movie. It could have been that movie. And honestly, hats off to Mattel. Mattel's the biggest toy maker in the world. Uh, they are very controlling about their IP. They are very, of course, they are. They have to be. And uh, there is no way this movie could have been made without Mattel going to Greta Gerwig. All right, go for it. Like there are so many ideas in this film that are uh, so um, original and so dynamic and so confrontational to a standard movie viewer, and it has such a strong heart and it takes so many risks. Least of all, uh, uh, not least of all, being the very final line of this whole movie. Like, they, Mattel, uh, I would not have been surprised if they read the Goward script and gone, well, that's that's nice, but you need to reduce it by, like, all this all this subversive stuff needs to go, and we want more, like, just, just uh, knockabout humor, right? Just give me more of this. They clearly just went, yeah, we trust you, go for it. And and she did not let them down and, and obviously it's been a huge huge hit uh the marketing was very clever for this movie as well the, i hope the marketing departments of barbie and oppenheimer both got huge raises this year because they they understood the assignment but um for once the the movie lived up to the hype in fact it exceeded the hype and um and then beyond all that creativity beyond all that heart and very intelligent script is it's just visually it's gorgeous the design of this film is just exceptional it's so colorful it's so true to not just what barbie is but i think what the memory of barbie is and this whole movie is about the memory of barbie to these women who were once girls and what she meant to them and what she starts realizing she is and uh, uh and and then it has the best musical number of the whole year and it has ryan gosling in his best career role and it has a million little jokes for you to spot next time you watch it and i i also i loved i've never seen really america forever, forever in anything and 
she's one of the standout performances in this and she's the heart of this too and her daughter played by the actress who i love and i can't remember the name and you're going to tell me ariana greenblatt thank you who is man keep an eye on her she is one of a a number of young actors female actors who are gonna be just they're big now they're gonna be huge 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 stars uh, so this this film really came together, and so my only worry at this point is, how are they going to fuck it up for the sequel? And oh, that's easy. They're going to learn all the wrong lessons. Yeah, I, I I just I just hope they say the Greta Gerwig again. Okay, we trust you. Go for it, even if you don't get it right, because she's going to try and do something else with it. Even if you don't get it right, I think the worst thing that could happen is Mattel's like, oh, we've got this property. It's now a property. It's a film property. It's a franchise property beyond being toys. It's synergy. All it takes is one CEO to, to try and learn the, the wrong lessons. Um, well, they're certainly going to try. At the very least, we're definitely going to see someone try to recreate the hype of Barbenheimer. Like, that's a thing that's yes. going to happen. Um, I don't know. I feel like... I feel like the Lego movie comparison is apt because the Lego movie is another one that like should have just been a product placement, but actually sneaks in this story about like, you know, the connection to the toy and how we need to remember that it's something to be played with and something to be shared and can build relationships and all of this stuff. And I don't think the Lego movie two is quite as success as successful, but yeah. that also became a story about, at least it tried to be a story about like aging up with it and, and connecting not with a parent, but with a, and the first one is about connecting with the father. The second one is about connecting with a younger sibling. And so my worry is that it's going to do one, one of two things. One is that it's going to just abandon any pretense of being anything more than just a toy movie. Like you're talking about, mm-hmm. Um, or it's going to do try to do exactly the same thing again and not be as successful at it. And that'll yeah. that's honestly the better the better of the two, I think. But it's it'll still be yeah. kind of disappointing if the second one is just the first one over again because the first this one is legitimately great. Like if I was if I was doing a ranked list, it would be near the top. Um, mm-hmm. I'm happy every time I see it up there. It is so much more than it could or should have been. Um, and it's really elevated by everyone involved clearly giving a shit. Like, clearly giving a shit in a deep and meaningful way. And by Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach writing a really wonderful script. Um, that And yeah, it's, you're right. It's about the, re- the remembrance of Barbie. It's about the how we interact with the things that form us in the same way that the Lego movie is. Uh, and I, I adore it. I adore every frame of it. And honestly, I think it might even be better if they just didn't do any sequels. They definitely will do sequels, yeah. but it would be better yeah. if they just left it as a one and done. Yeah. No, I agree totally. Good. Okay. What's the next one on your list? Uh, so for Barbie's on my list. So the next one for me, we're jumping all the way to D to talk about the wonderfully fun, maybe the most fun I had in the cinema all year. Oh. Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, uh, which, if you want a popcorn movie, um, is easily the best popcorn movie of the year. Clearly understands and captures the. I think. I think what really makes it for me is that it really understands. Uh, uh, what am I trying to say? It really understands what it's like, what it feels like to play D anD. Um. It really uh, does. And 
it's just fun, man. Like it's it's perfectly cast. Chris Pine gets most of the emotional heavy lifting to do, and he more than exceeds the task. You have a couple of young up and comers, um, Justice Smith, who I will basically watch in anything at this point. So good, he's brilliant. Um, and then you have wonderful, like <laughs> late stage. Um, uh, wow, Hugh Grant uh, as the the turncoat villain, and I, I, I cannot tell you how much I'm enjoying this phase of Hugh Grant's career, doing all kinds of interesting, experimental, weird choices, and but this one in particular, which is just an inversion of his sort of '90s persona, as the lovely, stuttering good guy who turns out to be, but turns out to be a villain, is wonderful, um, and then like. For a movie that could easily have devolved into being just in a huge mess of CGI soup, it doesn't do that. There's a lot of thought put into most of the most or all of the digital effects. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of practical effects, but then there's a lot of uh, a lot of big CG moments that have tons of detail that have clearly had a lot of thought put into them uh, and have been made with a lot of care in a way that lots of other big movies this year didn't. And uh, I think I loved basically every frame. And then, and if that's not enough, you, you also have, you know, Regajon page saying gently to you, good sir, with a perfect deadpan Shakespearean cadence. It's amazing. The, the level of care that's gone into this movie. Uh, and then it also sneaks in like a nice little story about like sticking true to yourself and true to your morals and, doing the right thing and caring about people. It's uh, it's wonderful. I, I loved it. I loved it a lot. I loved it way more than I expected to. Written by the nerdy guy from Bones. Who'd have known? Yep. But the, the who absolutely knows all the minutiae of what makes Dungeons & Dragons so hilarious to play. There's so many in-jokes. There's so many funny in-jokes in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and a nice nod to the uh, cartoon show that I loved. When I was growing up, it's just mm-hmm. so much fun and it's so well made and it's so satisfying as a payoff that the whole thing just pays off beautifully. It's great. Yeah, and I think it's also just a great choice that like you have Michelle Rodriguez on hand to be the barbarian, and then I think it's a really good, interesting choice. So many other films would have made the main character like a paladin or a knight or some heroic thing, but um, Chris Pine's character is a bard, and I think that's a really great choice as someone to who has to be a little more, he's also not a, you know, not a thief. He's a little more roguelike, but he's not a thief. It gives, mm. uh, or, or that morally gray, like it gives him a lot of room to play with the heroic archetype in a way that I think works incredibly well. Yeah. And, you know, Chris Pine is low key, the best of the Hollywood Chris's. So there's that. <laughs> it's not even low key. It's very yeah. high key. Yeah. He's fantastic. Yeah, it's a it's a wonderful film, and I uh, I can't wait to watch it a bazillion more times. Yes, a shout out yeah. to Jonathan, the uh, all uh, non CG giant crow judge uh, from one of my favorite parts of the film. Oh, Jonathan, yeah, Jonathan, uh, <laughs> uh, or even like there's so many like good practical effects. The the character that Regajon Page says jankly to is a a practical drag. I think I can't remember what that race is called in D and D, but he's like a dragon person, and it's wonderfully realized. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
the portal section's breathtaking in this film. Okay, let's move on to a different film because I'll just talk about Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, yes, fantastic. Um, well, I'm going back to bees. I'm rewinding. I, I appear to have a B and a C that you don't have, shockingly. Um, my second B is the comedy, the best comedy of the year. No, it's not Joyride because it doesn't begin with a B. It's Bottoms with Rachel Sennett and the other actor that you remember the name of that I don't. Um, Io Edabiri. Bottoms is about two girl, two lesbians who are <laughs> who are in the last year of uh, high school and they're really trying to get laid because they've had no attention and they want to get close to the really hot girls in class uh, by um, getting out of trouble by spontaneously creating a fight club um, that becomes um, uh, unexpectedly popular and they find themselves training girls to stand up for themselves against the douche footballers and they're really doing all this so they can um, get down with a couple of hot girls and within this uh, things just uh, career enough and they, they kind of hold on for dear life and it is the it's funny, the script when you read the script, it's not a funny script, but when you hear it delivered it's delivered in such a dry, dry almost under the breath machine gun manner that knows exactly when to speak for longer than is normal, if that makes sense there's a couple of parts, there's a couple of mini monologues in this movie that are my favourite funniest part of a movie I've seen in years and these two play off each other beautifully the cast is fantastic um, and uh, Rachel Sennett's great and it's just funny and unlike Joyride I thought Joyride found its stride halfway in I love the second half of Joyride I thought it was a bit slow to get to where it wanted to go and what Bottoms does is that it just commits immediately mm-hmm. to what it's doing and it hits the ground running and it do- and it does not allow you to warm up to it because you're already in it and um it's hilariously funny it's wonderful wonderful, and wonderful. it has a, a great breakout performance by of all people marsh football star marshawn lynch as well as one of their teachers yes. he so he's, he's so good so funny so natural <laughs> And just slots into this ensemble comedy in a way that, like you, I I did not expect. Um, yeah. But he's even up for uh, he's up for an Independent Spirit Award eh, for best breakthrough performance in this really film, good. which I think is wonderful. I think it's an excellent nomination because um, he's so good. And also, if you didn't get to see the Willow series, which Disney decided that it was more important to have a tax write-off than to value people's work, then maybe you didn't see the wonderful Ruby Cruz, who was great in that series. Uh, um, She's a very different character in this, but she's got a very important role and some very funny lines, and she's also good. Everyone's good in this. Yeah, everyone's good. I don't really have anything to add, but that's only because... um, it's good. It's solidly good. There's nothing to complain yeah. about. This very nearly made my list as well. And in fact, I think it's, it is on my, every year I do a best of the rest list as well. And this will be on that one for sure. Some, sometime a comedy just works like gangbusters for me and I can feel it happening. And this feels like game night for me, like where everything is just right. The cast, the script, the, the editing, so important in the comedy, the direction, just right. Everything comes together. It's funny you mentioned Game Night because that was made by the same people who made Dungeons and Dragons. That's right. That's yeah. right. It's a wonderful film. 
Okay, what's your next one? Uh, so I'm moving up to... Oh, I'm skipping one because I know it's your number one. So I'm skipping all the way to H um, with... Uh, a tech, technically, this might be a 2022 film because I think it did the late festival circuit, but How to Blow Up a Pipeline, which as an exercise in just righteous fury at the way that the world has been managed um, is easily, I think, one of the one of the best films of the year, um, which is shocking on our best films of the year episode. Um, uh, it's full of great performances, It's but it's a really simple setup. It's a really simple conceit, and it is written and acted with such a righteous fury is the only way to really say it about the way we have managed, we have let capitalism manage the world. It serves as maybe not instruction for actually blowing up a pipeline, but it is the most overtly political film I think I've seen all year. Um, certainly one of them. And it, you know, it, at the end of this film, they basically look at the camera and say like, this is why we're doing this. You guys have ruined the world. And at what point is, do we have to say it's too much? And we're saying that point is now. And it's upsetting to me that this film did not get a wider release and wider conversation because it it really, really, really feels like the filmmakers trying to get a message out there that I think would resonate with lots of people. Um, yeah. But it didn't get a very wide release or certainly not a lot of play from what I remember. Yeah. Um, but it's easily one of the best films of the year. Uh, yeah. And uh, I, I just want everyone, I want everyone to watch it and have feelings about it. Like even if it just starts as even if it's just a discussion starter, it will have been worth yeah. being made. Because yeah. basically everything they say in the film about the way that we've let capitalism run rampant and the way that we have destroyed the environment, like because we are literally past the point of no return now. Like at what point do we say it is too much? And uh, this film posits that we should do that now, and I think that that's important. I, I, there's many things about this film I don't understand. I don't understand how it got financed. I don't understand how it got made. I don't understand how it got released. Uh, because it is so furious. Every frame of this film is furious. And it's a bunch... Of, and I don't recognize any of the actors from this. Uh, and it is, it is furious without being preachy. And I think that's such a difficult thing. Like, to not sound like a conspiracy nut in this kind of movie is quite a difficult balance to find and it, i in there's a dystopian sci-fi movie somewhere where uh someone goes back in time to stop this movie being released because it changes society it destroys the dystopian society like this is a film that people should watch and go oh okay we, we've had enough and this film even addresses that at one point that, that some guy talks about political campaigns and recycling and so it's like that we've done that and nothing has changed this is the only thing that they are basically looking through the fourth wall and saying mm -hmm. you you have to do that what we are doing i am amazed that this got out uh, really it's the kind of thing i would expect to be buried but beyond well, it kind of kind of was right well, <laughs> I, I suppose so but even at all like even for anyone to see it because it's a dangerous film uh for the for the people who are in control of all this and it is but beyond the messaging it's brilliantly made it's brilliantly written 
And it's edited in a really interesting way in that it kind of unfolds things that we don't know about at the right time mm-hmm. that they do in a kind of, like, I'm going to make an Ocean's Eleven parallel, but only because there's things that we find out at the end that the cast already knew that we didn't, that kind of fits everything together and is very satisfying. So as a structural thing, it works very, very well. But as a film, just I just finished this film and just felt like it, this is a film that that is trying to literally change the world. And I think the more people see it, I, I don't know. It's an incredible film. And I've never seen a, f- a film so actively furious and just fucking done. And yeah. uh, it's incredible. Yeah, it's it's excellent. And it's I think I really read, as a person, you know, living through this, what we're living through in terms of the environment, I think it really resonated with me for all, all of these reasons. Because I think anyone who's paying attention is probably angry um, and feels powerless. And this film literally says, well, you can take back some of the power. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously offering a pretty extreme example of that, but there's things we could all be doing differently. And they're not just recycling because, you know, 70 70 something percent of all carbon emissions are from 100 companies, not from people. So it's, uh, we really need to change the way we do things. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it makes me angry that we haven't done anything or angry that probably speaking without a real revolution, we probably won't, but it, it makes yeah. me angry in an empathetic way. I, and this is a bigger conversation, but like we are past revolutions now. We are, we have, we have both the 1984 and Brave New World. And like it's, we are under control and too distracted to do anything about it. I mean, and we're, people- we're actively headed towards. We're actively headed towards being in Mad Max One. So, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Right. My next. Uh, let's move on to the next one. Please watch How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Please, please, please watch that film. Um, so this is probably the only one where that you're going to disagree on. This is. It, it, my, it is. Uh, this is a C. This is uh, Gareth Edwards' masterwork. The creator, <laughs> um, which is you know Rogue One, which you know I will I would have Rogue One's babies. I watched Rogue One again recently, and I still it gives me go- full body goosebumps to watch that movie. Rogue One was so uh, um, bloated and kind of um, tapered off with too long a third act that they had to bring in Tony Gilroy to basically tie with Gareth Edwards to tidy up to for, find a conclusion to tidy up some threads and make a more uh, um, uh, a bigger finale and the creator is Gareth Edwards uh, on his own so it is overblown and it kind of the third act peters out a bit and it's incredible it this is this is like watching Blade Runner in the 80s when no, everyone's like, oh yeah, that's pretty good. This is the movie in 20 years people can look at and think this is a standard for science fiction. Um, the the CG work is... <laughs> don't give me the Chris Evans face. The CG <laughs> work is incredible. The design work is incredible. The messaging, I love the messaging, but I I really like sort of father figures protecting kids in danger. Like, okay. Really? That resonates <laughs> <really> with you? <laughs> <laughs> but also, I am completely in love, and I texted this to you recently, at how Gareth Edwards shoots space. And I mean, like, dynamic 
open space. I don't know what he does with his lenses. In fact, there's a really, really interesting uh, making of article about this film, about how they used, uh, to keep the budget down, they basically didn't use CG unless it was absolutely necessary. And they didn't use CG backdrops. They just went to a place and shot live and then did CG over the top of that to reduce the CG because it's cheaper, obviously, to shoot in these big, like, 35 mil frames. And it just looks incredible. None of that uh, um, sort of Mandalorian fake backdropping, what do they call that, the volume, capital mm-hmm. V, it just looks like you could step into it. And um, it's kind of all over the place, and it's kind of scrappy, and it and, and it has a, a scrappy-ish ending that you see coming a mile off, and I adored it. I adored it from beginning to end, and I came up thinking, this is the next step in science fiction movie making. Um, <laughs> so, totally yeah, this, yeah, this is the only film on, on, our, on our list that I think we disagree about, and it's more to the point, I don't think it's bad exactly, I just think it's fine. Um, I agree with everything you're saying in terms of the way it's made technically. I think there's a lot of really important lessons that Hollywood could learn here about how to do things, because and we're going to talk about this again when we get to I Know You're Number One. Um, but this film was only made for something like $80 million and it looks better than basically any, any other film this year without any kind of large budget. Um, the level of care and the level of just, I think interesting, I think creative problem solving, like shooting B roll and putting CG into it rather than just making CG environments sound is physically harder, but costs so much less. I don't know why people don't, do it and it i feel like so i feel like this film looks so much better at 80 million dollars made than any of the marvel films this year most of it like marvel takes a lot of flack these days for the cg but for the most part i think they do a pretty good job but there's no denying that this film looks better than any of them and was made for far less money um so like technically i think you're right i find the story to be super derivative um and it doesn't resonate for me like at all. I think I think there's lots of good. I think there's lots of good here. I think it's really well made. Um, I think it's actually really well performed as well. But I've definitely seen Star Wars before, um, and Star and I've definitely seen a lot of the films that inspired Star Wars before. So I don't. It doesn't resonate with me in the same way it clearly resonated with you. Even when we saw it, like you were like buzzing when we we saw that movie together, and you were buzzing when we came out of it. I was like, "Yeah, that was all right. That was all right." (laughs) (laughs) I really enjoyed the uh, concept of a giant uh, planet destroyer slowly moving towards something to be saved, and the hero has to go up and destroy it from within. I've never really seen that before. It's nice, yeah. Especially that director's other movie. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You're totally right. Like whilst saving a princess from from an evil militaristic group, you know it's. It, it, I've seen like I so I'm I'm really glad that it does connect for people and I like I say I don't think it's a bad movie exactly and I don't I think it's actually a very incredibly well made movie but it, I it did not resonate with me in the way that I legitimately hoped it would because and I definitely think it's worth seeing because like you know it is derivative, but it's still a non IP, like a non property. And that kind of thing 
needs our support. Even when they're big budget films, those things need our support these days to, to get more of them made. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. What's your, what's your next one? Uh, so now I think we're jumping to another one where we have overlap, and that is uh, uh, Mr. David Fincher's latest latest picture, um, the dark as hell, darkly funny as hell portrait of a man out of control, desperately trying to be in control with the killer starring Michael Fassbender. Um, easily, weirdly one of the funniest movies I've seen all year. I think another amazing turn from Michael Fassbender, who is so good at threading that needle of near sociopathy. Um, I don't really know how to talk about this movie anymore. I've talked about it so much that it's, <laughs> it's so wonderfully performed. This film also has one of my favorite acted scenes of the year. And it's just a, a brief conversation between Fassbender and Tilda Swinton. Um, but the reason this film works, I mean, we could talk a lot about David Fincher's aesthetic, his lighting style, his, his sort of cinematic voice. But the reason this film's film works is that Michael Fassbender is playing the main character and Michael Fassbender is so good at portraying this man who on the surface is, I am calm and cool and collected and in control and know exactly <laughs> what I'm doing at all times. And underneath is a writhing mass of tentacles of fury and frustration and anger and portraying those two things simultaneously is a real feat. And I think he's wonderful in it. Um, like, I feel like this might be a movie kind of like Fight Club in that, like, the the, the satirical elements, the, the incongruent elements might be lost for some people. I can definitely sort of see that. But for me, it really did resonate. Like, the, the, the differences between what he's saying and what he's doing are yeah. excellent. Uh, excellently performed, darkly hilarious, and br just brutally realistic whenever it gets to the action part, too. Um, I, I really like this film. Uh, I know everyone's already talking about it, so I don't feel like I need to say more, but I really like this film. It's clearly one of my favorites of the year. Yeah, I agree with everything you're saying. I just want to add on, on to how this film resolves itself as well. Like It's, it's really interesting that he portrays himself as he has a set of rules and he's saying i'd never break these rules never do this and the audience is watching like like clearly seeing this man having an existential crisis because he's doing all of the things he said he's not doing and then it comes to the it's a revenge story and the way the revenge story is resolved is so surprising and ultimately for me very satisfying i know a lot of people who thought it wasn't but i think it's the only way the film could have ended and meant something like it, uh, ultimately this killer um he finds a line and i found that fascinating i just thought this was i've loved fincher for a long time and i thought this was just fincher just kind of reminding everyone about why he's top of his game and mm -hmm. this is for me fassbender's best career performance like he's a, a, astounding in this film um so yeah wonderful film yep um okay in my next film i'm jumping to the uh o's 
Oh yeah, it's another one where we have overlap for sure. <laughs> I think uh, I think most of us we do know. Oh no, it was one we don't. Anyway, this is Oppenheimer. No surprises there. This is one of the best movies of the year. Um, uh, I, I love Chris Nolan as a director for the most part, um, and the, the he he directs the shit, the shit out of this. Sorry to get so technical, but he directs the shit out of this movie. Uh, Cillian Murphy is incredible. This is his, finally gets his leading man uh, Nolan movie, and he does not disappoint. He is incredible. Um, the whole cast is really incredible, and it is an incredibly well-told story of this terrible tragedy of creation and usage and what I really like is that the movie does not hold back from conveying the awful tragedy of everything about this movie, or about this this creation and how it's used, and also how it affected him. I'm slightly confused why anyone would think it's glorifying uh, war. It is the, the strongest anti-war movie. It's up there with How to Blow Up a Pipeline in, in how anti-something it is. Uh, it's it's a movie you have to watch. It's three hours long. It's not a passive movie. You have to pay attention to it. Um, the test is uh, incredible, how the test was filmed. The use of silence in this film really surprised me, and it's it, unbelievably effective. And uh, it's heartbreaking, and it's funny, and it found a good ending. It found a good way to circle back to a lot of its points at the ending. It's definitely a film of three parts. You've you've got to hunker down for the for the long haul. Uh, out of all the movies on my list, I'm not sure it's one I would actively watch again in a hurry because it is a commitment. And a lot of my movies, I, I have a short amount of time to watch something that gives me like certain escapism. Like I'm going to watch something lighter if I get the chance. But this is definitely. The kind of film, if you give yourself the opportunity to watch it from beginning to end, then you'll be rewarded with easily one of the best movies ever made, I think, in, in, a, in a technical fashion and from a performance fashion as well. And I think what, what I would hope is that, that it's uh, reflected when it comes to awards season, which is a terrible term. I mean, I think it will be. This was very nearly my top film of the year. Um mm-hmm. We definitely, obviously, have overlap. I have seen it multiple times now. It's the only film I've seen. It's the it's the film I've rewatched the most on my list, even though really? it is it, it is it is the longest. I saw it twice in cinemas, and I've seen it once at home. Oh um, wow! Does it improve with rewatching? Do you do you? See yes, that? I will say that it definitely improves with rewatching. You pick up a lot more nuance in each of the mm-hmm. performances. You pick up a lot more, um, a lot more detail. Uh, in the especially in the sections where they're building the bomb, there's a lot more detail of stuff going on. But the main thing you pick up is a lot more, a lot more nuance in the performances, especially in that of Cillian uh, Killian, Cillian Murphy, um, Cillian Murphy. Um, and then the person, the first time I saw this film, which was with a couple of friends, the first thing I said when I got out of it was, if anyone wins, if there's one award, this film is going to win. It's going to be Robert Downey Jr. for Best Supporting Actor. And every subsequent rewatch has only made that feel more true. Um, it is a uh, a career-best 
performance from him. It's the first time in ages he's really had to capital A act in, I can't even remember when, like maybe since, maybe since Iron Man. It's the first time it feels like he's really stretched the muscles since the Marvel things started. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which is saying a lot. That's a long time. And he was always one of our most promising actors. Always very talented. Obviously he went through some dark times with substance abuse and problems with the police in the late nineties and into the early two thousands. Um, but this is the movie that I think really fulfills the pro the promise of him. Um, yeah. Cause he's excellent and it does a really smart thing in that the first two thirds of the film, especially it uses his natural charm against you mm-hmm. instead of mm-hmm. for you. And I think it's, I think casting him was an inspired choice. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that like, I think uh, Murphy is also going to be in the conversation for best actor. And I hope, I hope he is. He's so phenomenal. He's been, it's his sixth time working with Nolan. It's his, he's a, a long-standing working character actor. And it's his first big, one of his first big lead roles, uh, I would say, certainly on like the global stage. And I hope he's rewarded for it because he brings his, his a game in every single frame of this film. And uh, it's another thing where he's able to portray that nuance we've talked about, about, you know, if not me, then who, and once he realizes what he's done, the active campaigning against it is really interesting. And then his sort of submission to the punishment in the last third, especially, is really, really interesting to watch, especially on rewatch. It's a, it's a, it's a film that I will watch over and over and over again. Um, yeah, it's great. I, there's what else to say? We've talked. This movie's been talked to death, um, but it's it's for a reason. It's wonderful. Well, uh, the the thing I want to say is it is Killian Murphy. You were correct. I apologize. It's yeah. okay. Uh, I don't know why. He's one of the ones whose name I like. I know I know how to pronounce it, but I forget it every time I go to say it. It's weird. <laughs> so apologies, Killian Murphy. He's uh, he's just been so good for so long. Since like 28 Days Later was his first thing, right? That was, that was his first role. And, and he's always been so dependable and so great. And so it's been to see him elevated to a massive leading role like this and to really carry off and, and be so effective is incredibly satisfying. Was 28 Days Later his first film role? I think it was. But I, I may be wrong. I, well, I don't know. I I know he was on stage uh, before he was on uh, mm-hmm. before he was on screen. Yes. Uh, but yeah, anyways, sort of beside the point. He uh, well, he's great. He's been great for a long time. If you've never watched Peaky Blinders, watch that too. Um, yes. And uh, you should, if you haven't seen it, I mean, honestly, if you haven't seen it by now, what are you waiting for? It's one of the best mm-hmm. films of the year. It's going to be up for all the awards. You should definitely watch it. Let's move on to my next film then. Uh, oh no, I didn't. Oh, so it's your next movie. Sorry. No, oh, so this is another one where we have overlap. Um, I'm jumping all the way to R, and that is with the Japanese film River, directed by uh, Junta Yamaguchi. This is the same team that brought us Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes a couple years ago. Uh, it is another time loop movie, and I almost don't want to tell you anything about it because it is so sweet and wonderful and delightful and heartwarming and just like satisfying. The key setup this time is that 
this hotel is caught in a time loop and at the end of every loop everyone resets to their initial positions but remembers everything from the prior loop uh, so it takes them a loop or two to sort of like figure out what's going on uh, and then the rest of the film is them working through why and how they're stuck in this loop yeah. it does a couple of really I think ingenious things in that they clearly filmed this over a length of time and like the weather changes and they just don't pay attention to it. <laughs> it's uh, like, there's yeah. whole sections of this film that are like in the snow and that weren't before. Yeah, they're um, like, oh, it's snowing now. It's snowing now. That she's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and because it does the thing that one thing that I often really like, which is that like that honestly doesn't matter to the story. Like the the fact that there's mm-hmm. snow on the ground doesn't actually matter to the story. So they just treat it like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Um. Mm-hmm. It's really well performed. It's a little it's a little performative if you're not used to that sort of style of acting. The group mm-hmm. that made it, uh, Europe Kika, Kikaru, I think is how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Um, they are a stage company first, and they do experimental stage stuff. But um, if you can if you can buy into the conceit and if you can buy into the world, this is one of the most satisfying films I've seen all year. It's really upsetting to me. It's not going to get a huge release and get talked about, much like Beyond the Infinite. Two minutes did not. Um, Mm-hmm. And it's also technically really good. Like every every loop is a single take, um, and every loop has at least one excellent performance. And uh, I cannot wait to watch this film again. Yeah, um, yeah. and like Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, it's so uh, meticulously planned. It's really satisfying, and they find uh, a resolution that I really like as well. Mm-hmm. But it is also part of a group of Japanese movies that I've discovered, which is called Friends Help Each Other Out. And uh, it's really that's a really emotional genre for me, just like Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes and just like One Cut of the Dead. Uh, the the problem is resolved when everyone comes together and works together. Mm-hmm. And that really, that really, just kindness really gets me, you know, really gets me. So, yeah, it's lovely. Absolutely lovely. Yeah. Yeah, when this one comes out on blu-ray or uhd or whatever it's going to come out on here i will be buying a copy for sure yes um because it is it is wonderful and uh again i can't wait to watch it again you're right there's uh, something to be said for kindness in the world and this film does resolve with kindness in a way that i really adored absolutely um my next movie is a p this is my birthday movie from february this is the wonderful over the blown makes fast and furious look like a grounded drama it's (laughs) pathan pathan is a spy movie that is also a romantic comedy that is also a musical uh at one point they uh ride motorbikes over the ocean um it is the most fun I've had in the cinema probably in decades. And uh, I took the day off and we went for Mexican food as per my request. And I had tequila at 11 in the morning. And then we, I, I was either going to see Ant-Man, Quantumania or Pathan. And I almost went for Ant-Man. And in the end I was like, no, I can see Ant-Man anytime. Let's go and see this overblown Indian action movie. And it was us and one other guy in International Village, with me and my wife watching this film, just laughing for two hours, beginning to end. Absolutely. It's so over the top. The top isn't even visible anymore. It exists somewhere higher than the top, and where you can't see the top of whatever it is anymore. And it doesn't stop. It takes its cues from... Triplex three, which is the best triplex. It also shares one of the, the actors as well, and then just keeps going in that direction. And uh, it wants to make you happy. It wants to give you pure escapism, 
and holy shit is it successful it's i mean this is funny as well this movie is like a the the encapsulation of that scene in um uh this is spinal tap where they point out that their amps go to 11 um <laughs> the, this this movie is that in cinematic form uh, and you're right i also loved every every second of it uh it's it's not on my list but it will be on my best of the rest list um mm-hmm. i mean we're talking about a movie like you're talking about over the top like the big final resolution is a fist fight and the fist fight causes a house to fall over like this, this is the kind yeah. of and that's before they find the winged jetpacks, I think. So, or right after. So, like, this movie is a lot. And then it has legitimately one of the catchiest songs I heard all year. Like, a song that I've re-listened to so many times, even though I don't speak Hindi. Um, mm. It's easily one of the catchiest songs of the whole year. Um, and it turns out, I- like, the reason Shah Rukh Khan is one of the most magnetic stars on the planet is, uh, or one of the biggest stars on the planet is that he's one of the most magnetic people on the goddamn planet. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, uh, and can't recommend this one enough. There's one moment in this where there's a cameo and I've no idea who this person is that helps him out in a train fight, but are oh, you talking film, about yeah, the, Sal- the Salman yeah, Khan? His name is right, also Khan. I've not- so I didn't know who he was, didn't know what was going on, but it's filmed so brilliantly that it tells you that this person's a big deal. And at that point, I'm like, oh, I wish I was in a room full of like people from this culture because I bet they're going absolutely like cap with the hammer. You've made me paranoid now. Cap with Molinia, Molinia, Molinia. Um, that <laughs> level of crazy when this guy like lifts the, the train roof off with the scarf and then drops through. And it's like... And everything, everything paused for the applause. My God, what a film! Yep, and that train fight is legitimately one of the best fight scenes of the yeah. year. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, for sure. Like there was a lot of good fight scenes this year, but that train fight was one of the best. Yeah. In a in a year where we got a John Wick, the, that train fight was one yeah. of the best fight scenes yeah. of the year. For sure. Uh, um, and and yeah, like I don't know if you've seen them yet, but you should definitely look up the tiger films that Selman Khan stars in because mm-hmm. they are, re- mm-hmm. I don't know if they're good, but they're ridiculous in the same way that I think you might enjoy. Mm-hmm. So, well. yeah. Okay. What's your next? Uh, so now we're jumping to another one in the R's, which I believe we have overlap on yet. Yeah, we do. And that is the film we both saw as part of the Vancouver international film festival. This is Kitty Green's the Royal hotel, which is, mm-hmm. A horror movie, a thriller horror movie about two young women who go and become bartenders at a tiny bar in the outback in a tiny town surrounded by mines and miners. And it is one of the most effective films of the year because it knows well enough to take these two young women and then have a bunch of men around them just be men. Um, And like, I can already hear the people coming back to be like, well, not all men, but yeah, that's true. Not all men, but all of these men and someone who grew up in a small town, like I can tell you for a fact, I know all of these men. And, uh, it turns out that, um, Hugo Weaving is a really good actor. Uh, it turns out that Julia Garner has, who is brilliant in Ozark is definitely deserving of all the awards she won for that is can transfer that to any role she wants. Uh, and Jessica Henwick is also 
I, had, I don't want to say she slept on because she's been in a lot of big stuff. But I feel like this one is really going to hammer home how good of a performer she is in more difficult, with more challenging material. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's there. I I don't want to tell you too much more about it. It'll if you if you watch this and don't come away being like reevaluating ideas about toxic masculinity, I don't know how to help you. <laughs> it's just um, it's the genius. The genius part of this film is that it is a a pressurized bottle being shaken for, for an hour and a half, and yeah. it is a is a knot in the stomach. And it would be very very easy for this to be like Alex Garland's Men, where there is a man who is clearly a psychopath stalking them, and and so it becomes like a horror. But instead, it it's a horror, but it's just dudes being dudes in yeah. the most realistic way possible and it builds and it builds and builds and when the court comes off when like we talk about mo moments from the year julia gardner's scream in this movie is one of the best moments of the year because the cork comes out and that pressure that's been building 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 um through brilliant editing and brilliant script work and brilliant performance and yeah jessica Henwick is one of my favorite actors working i think she's incredible yeah uh, and it's it, it's a horrifying movie because it doesn't have an axe murderer. It doesn't have a stalker. It doesn't have a singular threat. It's just men in isolation. And it's, yep. uh, it's, it's incredible film. Yep. Right down to like, there's one character who clearly is a psychopath. But there's also just the guy who like sits at the bar and thinks he's a nice, he's, he, he, he's a nice guy. He's, yeah, he tries to be a nice guy and thinks he deserves their attention as a result. And he might actually be the scariest of all of them at yeah. the end of the day. Because yeah. he's the one that I think probably most people might see themselves in. Um, but yeah, it's a one, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a bit difficult to watch maybe, but it is yeah. easily one of the best and most effective films of the year. Mm -hmm. To me anyway. Um, so I have no other films to talk about apart from my number one you probably have another one right i have one more yeah and that is another film i just saw recently i've been really catching up on some of the films but emerald fennels was sort of leapt to the forefront with promising young women a few years ago and she's two for two as far as i'm concerned with saltburn this year which is a uh a, a darkly comedic class takedown i don't so when I first watched this film, which was a couple of days ago, I uh, I gave it a three out of five. And then I came back a couple of days later and bumped it up to four because I cannot stop thinking about it. Um, it's such a interesting and incisive look at class structures, in particular in Britain, because it's set in Britain, um, about... The, the lengths that people will go to to avoid feeling things. Um, the main character, uh, played by Barry Keegan. Barry Keegan, I already knew he was a fearless performer, but holy shit. Um, this man, like, you'll hear chatter online if you're paying attention to the discourse. You will hear chatter online about the, quote, bathtub scene. And the bathtub scene is a lot. Like, it's a It's a lot. And it is maybe the like seventh most fucked up thing that happens in this movie that he does completely fearlessly. I'm not going to spoil what it is here, um, but it goes to much weirder places, and then it ends on a 
on a several minute long one take dance number naked <laughs> through a mansion. It is, it is, I'm not going to lie. It is a lot of movie. Like there's a lot going on here. Um, and I think it will ultimately be rewarded. You'll be rewarded for watching it more than once to pick up more nuance and more depth in each of the performances. But um, I, I just cannot say enough. Holy shit, Barry Keegan. It also is Rosamund Pike delivering another iconic performance. Dryly delivering some of the funniest dialogue of the year. Um, in that way that only an upper class British snob person could. Like, <laughs> there's a wonderful scene in the middle of this film where she's complaining. She's telling this story about how she used to hang out with, you know, uh, all these performers, uh, Blur and Pulp. And then she tells the story about how, like, and I cannot do the accent justice, so forgive me. But she's talking about how, like, and there's this terrible rumor going around that uh, Jarvis wrote common people about me. And, you know, and but listen to the lyrics. Like, she came from Greece with, came from Greece with a thirst for knowledge. And I've never wanted to know anything in my life. <laughs> 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 Like it's, it's so perf. All of it is so perfectly delivered, um, and so it's it's very on target. And I don't. Uh, it's not going to work for everyone, but like again, if it's one of those ones, if you can get in on its vibe, it is going to reward you for watching it. And I think the bigger problem with the resolution is that if you're sort of, if you're sort of attentive to it, you can sort of see where where it's going to be, where it's going to end ahead of time. But this is very much like it's the journey, not the destination, man. Like, don't get that, don't let that get in your way. It is a it is a wonderfully constructed film with a couple of amazing, like best of the year performances. I can't wait to see it again, um, and I I hope it gets some awards. I don't think it will, honestly, but I hope it gets some awards play. Excellent. Yeah, I'll try and catch that. Um, well, that's all of my other films. Shall I talk about my favorite of the year? Yeah, this is, it's a film we have overlap on, so let's go ahead and do that. My favorite movie of 2023 is Godzilla Minus One. Um, I've certainly not had the love or the knowledge about Godzilla as you have. I, I, uh, I watched the cartoon when I was very young and then the American movies, and I kind of always thought Godzilla was like protector. I didn't realize anything about the original Godzilla, which I only watched for the first time this year with my son, of this incredible <clears throat> metaphor for the horrors of the um, atomic age dawning on Japan, mm -hmm. made 11 years after Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And this film takes everything about the original Godzilla and uh, and t tells, tells a very faithful story. And it's interesting that... Sh um, Another reboot came out in 2016 called Shin Godzilla, which takes this is very faithful also to the original, but um, approaches it in a very different way. And this this film is a period set immediately after the Second World War, where a pilot is trying to uh, basically come turns to the fact that he's still alive um, and the great shame that comes with that and living in a destroyed Tokyo. And basically, I was not ready for this movie to be this. Uh, immaculately emotionally drawn tale of national guilt and national trauma after losing a war. And then Godzilla in amongst that isn't just an add-on monster, it fits in with the whole metaphor as well. 
and the the monster is then used as resolution for these characters, uh, <clears throat> including one of the most emotional endings I've seen in a, in a film. Uh, there was a, someone behind me in the movie openly, actively sobbing at the end of this film, and it will get you right, right in the gut. The, the last 10 minutes of this movie will get you right in your heart. And it is, the whole thing is just immaculately um, presented, directed, acted. And it's made by one guy who wrote it, directed it, and did all the CG himself. Mm-hmm. And uh, it looks spectacular. It's very faithful to what Godzilla is as a story metaphor, but also as a giant monster movie. It knows how to hit the right beats as well. <clears throat> so I actually, I only saw it because you, you, you'd seen it and it was one of our options for um, podcasting and something came up that I could go to the cinema with my son. So we just went to see it. And I am so glad I saw it on the big screen because uh, it, incredibly moving film that was also about people coming together to solve a giant monster problem in the most emotional way possible and learning how to let go of guilt and it's and and sort of embracing the things that are still alive instead of thinking about the things that are, that have died man what a film and mm-hmm. that last beat that last moment that last line is still something that makes me tear up when i think about it what a film what a film yeah i mean you pretty much covered it um, you know, I've said I've said on this show before. I've said many times before. The best versions of Godzilla are either completely drenched in metaphor, or have giant monsters relentlessly beating the shit out of each other. And this is uh, one of the best examples of the former type. Um, mm-hmm. The way it weaves Godzilla into the story and into into their the main character's sort of guilt um, is masterful and the way that it also like openly criticizes the, the Japan and the Japanese government is, you know, I said before that how to blow up a pipeline was the most overtly political film uh, I've seen all year. And it definitely is. But this one also takes a moment to look directly at the camera and say, the Japanese government does not care about us. We have to deal with this on our own. <laughs> so <clears throat> it's not, uh, it's not alone on this list as having some political overtones. Mm-hmm. Um. But the way the whole community comes together, the way, and the way it resolve, the way it resolves, the, you're like the last line. There's also a scene right before the last scene that I found very, very, very emotional, um, which I don't want to spoil. Um, and I also just can't imagine what it must be like. I don't have any personal cultural context, but the uh, I can't imagine what it must be like for someone. If anyone's still alive who was a pilot in 1945 to 1950, like what it must be like to see the Shinden fighter on screen, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's a historically the 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 plane they used to resolve it is this a fil- uh, a real plane that never got past the prototype stage, but was meant to be like the next great Japanese in- innovation, and it must be something else to see it on screen. Um, the way the way this movie weaves in and out of its own culture is incredible. And uh, I think, I think for me personally, I think that the original Godzilla will always be the best one. But this is a pretty easy number two in a franchise that is seventy years old and almost forty films deep. Uh, it's pretty incredible. It's a pretty incredible comeback. Uh, not comeback, but 
it's pretty incredible that they've managed to do it again so completely. Uh, mm. And I, I cannot wait to see it again. $15 million as well for something that looks that incredible. The CG is amazing. <clears throat> yeah, this like is... In the world. Yeah, it's definitely one that, like... It, and it, like I will say that there's definitely some things you'll notice. Like, it definitely... Things you'll notice that make it seem like, oh yeah, maybe that's why it only costs $15 million. But this, along with the creator, are two... They're films that will be, like... We're definitely going to learn the wrong lessons from them, but one of the lessons should be we can do this for less money. Right. Mm -hmm. If we do it with care and if we do it the right way, we can do it for less yeah. money. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I hope I don't, I don't have any faith they're going to learn that lesson, but I hope uh, that they do. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So, 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 what is your favorite film of the year? That just leaves one more. Um, that is the masterwork from Celine, uh, Celine Song uh, that is Past Lives. This is a movie that came out in the summer. Um, Greta Lee stars in this film as uh, uh, Nora. She is a woman who was a child in Korea who moved to Canada and then later to New York to attend school. And when she was a young child living in Korea, she had a close friendship with uh, Sung, who, uh, you know, the kind of relationship where, you know, they're 10 or 12 and you're like, oh, those two might, they might be a thing for life. But then she moves away. And during her time at school, you know, when she's an adult university, they reconnect and they video chat for a while and then that goes away. And she meets a man played by John Magaro, who I think is a really underrated performer. Um, he keeps showing up in indie stuff and just crushing it. Um, but then she marries him. And then several years later, Sung comes to New York where they live. She's working as a playwright. He's an author. And he comes ostensibly just to, because he's going to be in town, they agree to meet up, but it, it come, turns out that he's there to see her and the whole film is an emotional gut punch and it is a lament not for what was but what from what might have been and i think anyone who's had someone in their life that you know what might have been this film will be emotionally devastating and i think i mean this it left both me and my wife in tears like sobbing in tears as it came to a conclusion. And uh, I don't really want to tell you anything else about it, but it is, it's another one uh, kind of like all of us strangers in that it is so gentle with its subject. So wonderfully kind and emotional with the characters that it's dealing with. It's uh there's another scene. It's interesting how many of my favorite scenes this year are just two people talking to one another. But there's a scene where all three of them go out to a bar together and Nora and Sung end up having this deep conversation in Korean that uh, John Margaro's Arthur can't understand because he doesn't understand Korean. And the film takes uses some visual and lighting tricks to isolate them in the frame. It is one of the most emotional things I've seen all year. Um, 
I am getting a little emotional just thinking about it right now, to be totally honest. Uh, it is far and away the most affecting thing I saw this year. Far and away the most lovingly performed thing I saw this year. Um, and I, I, I cannot... I cannot recommend it enough. I think, Simon, I think it might destroy you if you watch it. And I think you should. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think you're right with with Council. Yeah. Um, I need to see it. It's, uh, it's easily, easily my favorite thing of the year. And there's a, like, this is a great year for film. Like, there's a lot of great movies this year. Uh, this thing, this movie has been number one on my list since about two seconds after it finished when I saw it the first time. It's also one that I have not really been able to bring myself to revisit because I had such an emotional reaction to it the first time. Oh no! And I think I will watch it again, but it uh, is definitely a lot to process emotionally, and uh, I cannot, I cannot wait. It it taps into that same thing in a way. In a way, there's a, it's really interesting. There's a theme for me that of like this and all of us strangers. And another good example would be Konagata's Columbus from a few years ago that are just sort of quiet and slow and gentle mm-hmm. with the emotionality they're trying to deal with. That really affects me. And um, I loved every frame of it. And I hope that Greta Lee, who I'd only really seen in comedic stuff to this point, uh, that I can remember anyway, um, I hope that it catapults her to stardom in a in a in a meaningful way because she is so wonderful in it. Um, it is so far up for I haven't seen I know the Golden Globe nominations were just announced, um, and I haven't seen them yet. But uh, it's it is up for a number of Independent Spirit Awards, and I hope it wins all of them. So yeah, Past Lives, my favorite film of the year. By a, by a country mile. Uh, I'm going to have to watch this one. I'll prepare myself and watch it. Yeah. It's interesting because, like, I said before that um, Oppenheimer was nearly at the top of my list, and that is true. I've It's definitely a one I've rewatched and been rewarded for rewatching. And I think it's an immaculately made movie, but it doesn't. And it's also Christopher Nolan's probably his most emotional movie, which is saying a lot given that he's a bit of a human computer. Um, but this one really taps into something in a way that works for me a little better. So, yeah. There you go. Past Lives. Favorite film of the year. Lovely. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up on this uh, bumper episode, tell me which movie uh, is your most anticipated for 2024? I honestly have no idea. Uh I haven't. I've been purposefully not looking ahead too much. There's a ton of part twos that are coming out next year. So honestly, at this point, it's probably Dune Part Two because um, I've now been waiting so goddamn long for it. And uh, Dune, as you know, is one that I bounced off of fairly hard the first time I, I saw it, but then I rewatched it a second time. Now I've rewatched it like six times, and every time I do, I'm rewarded for doing so. And uh, I'm at the point now where I legitimately can't wait for Dune Part 2. I'm sure there's something else out there, but that's the only thing that's on my mind. The other thing that's out there is my most anticipated movie, which is Furiosa. And uh, I am uh, chomping at the bit to get my hands on that movie, get my eyes in front of that film. Um, 
because uh, I think, I mean, based the trailer alone was one of the best things I saw this year, and um, it's it's coming out quite late twenty twenty four. Oh no, May it's coming out May twenty twenty four. Yeah, they're actually coming out pretty close together. Like they're both spring movies, I think. I I do want to temper my expectations a bit because Fury Road is one of my favorite films of all time, but it looks like it's going to be George firing on full all cylinders again. And um, your guy has seen the script and says it's incredible. So uh, I've got faith. I've got faith in the director of Happy Feet 2 to make the, um, the Mad Max sequel sequel that he has in him. And it just looks incredible. I'm so down yep. for it. Oh. And Anya Taylor Taylor Joy looks unrecognizable in the trailer, which yeah. I find interesting because she is so recognizable. Um, and also, like Chris Chris Hemsworth doing a kind of what looks to be a big goofy performance. I think is uh, maybe I'll maybe I'm out there saying this, but like I think that's where he works best. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, um, sure. he certainly can be a serious actor, but like it's the Thor Ragnaroks of the world that I th- and the the Ghostbusters 2016 where he's I think the best where he's. You know, he's a big, burly, strong, classically handsome goofball. I think is where he's works best. That's fine. I'm, I'm like, I just want him to keep making extraction movies. I mean, you can do that too. <laughs> they're not, the they're not mutually exclusive. I just think that that, in terms of like actual, in in terms of acting, I think he's best when he's a bit goofy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Well, should we wrap up there? That is uh, coming up to two hours. So thank you so much for listening. I hope you watch all of our films and love them. And we would love to hear your favorite movie too. So how, how can they do that? Twitter, probably. Uh, yeah. So if you want to connect with us and tell us your favorite films of the year, we would love to hear it. Uh, you can find the show on most major platforms at Awesome Friday CA. You can find me on most plat- major platforms at Matthew AF. Simon is not on the social medias, so the actual best way to get in touch with us would be to hit up one of our homepages. The show is at awesomefriday.ca. Simon is temporarypen.com, and I am stretched.ca. Uh, the site, uh, awesomefriday.ca, does have a contact form, but again, like hit us up on the socials, shoot us an email, tell us your favorite films of the year, tell us what you thought. If you are one of our patrons, normally you get a bonus episode every week. This week we're just doing this episode because we went for so long. But you can comment on the Patreon, on the Patreon site, uh, which is patreon.com slash mcsimpson. Um, mostly because I'm too lazy to change it. Um, and yeah, if you like the show, if you have like what you heard, feel free to give us a review on your podcasting platform of choice. Uh, like, subscribe, do all the things. But mostly as we approach the end of this year, I think we both just want to say thank you so much for listening. Um, You know, we're two and a half years back into this journey and uh, it's been a real pleasure talking about films, but also knowing and interacting with all of the people who are actually listening. And uh, we are eternally grateful for the the small but growing community we've managed to build here. So. If you're in that community, thank you so much for listening. We have lots more planned for 2024. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. We hope you have a safe and happy new year. We hope all your loved ones are safe and happy. And um, yeah, 
that's pretty much it. Simon, anyone you want to, anything you want to shout out before we nope. wrap it up entirely? Nope. We covered everything. Happy new year. We love you. We love you. Year. So, and you know, as per usual, we're here in Vancouver. We're on the unceded and ancestral territories of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh and Squamish nations. And thank you for joining us on this awesome Friday in this awesome 2023. <laughs> Bye.